Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. I'm Dan Putt, one of the partners here at Reboot, and I could not be more excited about this conversation. We're here to showcase the heart and soul of authentic leadership, to inspire more open conversations around what we consider the most important part of entrepreneurship, the emotional struggle. And hopefully, we open up some hearts along the way. We are extremely grateful that you've taken the time to be with us and look forward to this journey ahead with you. Now, on with our conversation. To have a firm persuasion to set out boldly in our work is to make a pilgrimage of our labors, to understand that the consummation of work lies not only in what we have done, but who we become while accomplishing the task. That quote is from David White in his book, Crossing the Unknown Sea, Work as a Pilgrimage of Identity. Most startups fail. I think we all know that and understand it on some level. We've even come up with reasons why failure is so important in the world of startups. It's the age of pivots and failing fast and iterate, iterate, iterate. All things that intellectually describe the value of failure. But what's not discussed as frequently and that so many of us carry around is a deep fear of failure. How does that show up in our day-to-day? How does it impact our work? How does it drive our regular decisions? And what about the pain that comes with that fear? Or more interesting, what about the power that lies in embracing it? In today's conversation, Jerry is joined by Ben Rubin, co-founder and CEO of Change Collective, an organization itself that is set on helping people make positive change in their lives. Ben comes to Jerry wondering how he can better deal with a negative inner dialogue. They quickly discover that that inner voice, and more specifically the feelings that precede it, are a powerful indicator of an underlying fear. What opportunities exist in exploring that fear? Ben and Jerry explore that in today's episode of the Reboot Podcast. Enjoy. Hey, Ben, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for coming on the show and thanks for uh, agreeing to do this. Um, Before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit more about who you are the situations that you're dealing with, the company, and specifically what you wanted to talk through today? Sure. So uh, company is Change Collective. It's a company that uh, my co-founder and I started about a year and a half ago. And it's really based on what I view as my life mission, which is helping people make change in their lives. My last company was helping people sleep. This company sort of more broadly is Um, building courses on mobile devices that help people do everything from learn how to meditate, learn how to become more productive, learn how to get fit. Um, So we've been working on that uh, for about the last year and a half. And the challenge that I've been sort of continuously facing is that there's an inner mental dialogue that often has lots of negative commentary. And sometimes that mental commentary is really useful and it's telling us things about things that won't work, things we've learned, new directions to head in. And sometimes that mental dialogue just feels like a beatdown um, and stops me from making progress. And it can be really hard to tell the difference right, between what I'd call really useful information that is bubbling up 
versus you know insecurities and fear that are stopping me from exploring um, the right direction to go. So I want to make sure I understand it. What you're looking to talk through is the experience that you're having of this sort of constant negative thoughts and really looking to figure out a way to discern which of those thoughts are actually useful yeah, and which, which of those thoughts are actually getting in the way. That's right. And when things are getting in the way, how to move forward in spite of mm-hmm. and do the right thing um, and to not ignore them when they're real information that we should act upon. So uh, I'm going to suggest... Um, I'll give you a quick, short answer, and then we'll explore it in a little bit more depth. The answer is going to lie in the feelings. And then we'll circle back to that for a moment. Tell me a little bit more about the uh, thoughts. Give me, give me an instance when they show up. Yeah, so um, about a month or two ago, um, we just sort of put our first five courses on the market, and we were having trouble getting initial traction. Not surprising in the sort of first month or two of a product launch. Uh, but the negative barrage started with um, thoughts about, you know, oh, no one will buy these. Uh, they're not useful. Um, and then jump to, um, we'll run out of money in, you know, X months. You know, what will you do next? How will you deal with that? How much cash will be in the bank, you know, in your personal bank account when the company fails? So just sort of fast forwarding all the way towards, um, you know, a future that was pretty negative mm-hmm. um, when, you know, in reality, there were problems that needed to be worked on and I needed to focus on those. So and these thoughts were coming as you were walking down the street, the thoughts were coming when you would like lie down at night. Yeah. The, and I'd say all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a it's it goes in waves. Right. But at times, maybe a month ago, it was a barrage. Right. And I would I, I have enough awareness to sort of notice the thoughts but um, they were they can be overwhelming, um, and then at other at other times they're they're almost not present, right? And, and it really depends on it seems the vagaries of how a day is going and whether good information or bad information comes in. And sometimes I'm excited and moving forward, and sometimes these negative barrages are just bombarding me. Yeah, the, the, this reminds me a lot of a blog post I once wrote called "Shoot the Crow." Yeah. Um, you, you, you remember that post, eh? I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And if you remember in the post, I was, I was recalling uh, something that uh, a poet and teacher of mine in college used to say, and I love this image of her. She was, uh, you know, five feet nothing and uh, uh, a chain smoker, so her fingers were always nicotine stained. And she used to thrust her finger in the air and say, shoot the fucking crow. Because uh, the crow was the, her name for that constant barrage of thoughts, that, that constant uh, things. And, 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 the, and the way it stops us actually from taking steps forward. Yeah. And yet sometimes that voice is telling me what's wrong, right? It's pointing out the very thing that I need to listen to. So mm, I'm suspicious of that. No. All right. I want to take you back to something. Yeah. Go back and remember that incident that you were telling me or that time period that you were telling me that after you launched and you had the three courses up and then all the doubts, all the doubtful thoughts came up. Yeah. Describe for me the feelings that you had. And when I say feelings, I don't mean, uh, 
I mean very primal and primitive words. Anger, yeah. sadness, um, happiness, you know, yeah. not, not, not the thoughts that we attach to the feeling. Yeah. Um, I'd say it starts with anxiety, right? It's, it's just a feeling of, oh, no, you know, what's going to happen? Um, and I can sort of feel it like right in my upper chest as like yeah. a sort of sharp twisting. Yeah. Um, and that would happen, you know, sometimes in response to a stimulus, like a customer email or a marketing campaign, but sometimes just out of the blue, Ooh, yeah, that feeling. And then a train of thoughts that follow. Okay. Notice that. Notice that. Mm. Okay. Notice what just happened. Which came first? The feeling. The feeling precedes the thought. And this is a really important understanding. I once was sitting in meditation, and I was about five minutes into my session when I noticed that level of anxiety, the same gripping in the chest, the same, you know, and, and we're on Skype, we've got video, so I noticed that you were pointing to, like, right between, you know, right in the yeah, middle right of your there. chest, right? Actually, where the vagus nerve bundle goes, okay? That's where the anxiety really gets activated. And I noticed the same twisting, squeezing feeling. But I did something really important in that moment. Because I was sitting in meditation and had the intention of not following my thoughts, hmm. I heard one of my teachers, Ani Pema Chodron, her voice came into my head. And she said, sit, stay, like a dog. And then I started to explore the feeling of anxiety, not the thoughts. And I did this by saying to myself, what does it smell like? Which is, you can't figure that out. What does anxiety smell like? No. And what it did was it distracted the mind long enough so that the feeling became the object of meditation. So it was not my breath that became the object of meditation. It was the feeling that became the object of meditation. Okay? And in that moment, in that moment, I began to separate the thought patterns because I could feel my mind trying to explain the feeling to myself. It went sort of like this. I'm anxious. Why am I anxious? And then the mind, which is so clever at doing this, supplied me a million reasons why I should feel fearful. Mm. What is the threat? That little gap, that little gap between noticing the feeling and the train of thoughts became something that I began to work with because it opened up the realization that what I was feeling was a general anxiety. In this case, simply for being alive. Because there was literally no threat. There was no cheetah pacing underneath the tree trying to eat me. Hmm. You know, there was no evolutionary threat. There was no threat on the horizon. There was just a feeling of dread. And then my mind, in trying to push it away, trying to push the anxiety away, made the anxiety worse. 
Do you, does this resonate with you? Yeah. Um, it's, and I, I've, I've, uh, experienced the practice of trying to sit with the anxiety. Um, Mm -hmm. and I can, if I focus on it, I can do it, but, um, like on a meditation cushion, but in the vagaries of everyday life, um, it feels much harder. Okay. Um, The point of sitting on the cushion is for life off the cushion. We practice on the cushion so that we can do off the cushion. Okay. This is the challenge in a meditation environment. This is the challenge in it is that when the conditions are right, we can work with things, yeah. right? We got the candle going, we got the incense going, we've got the nice bell, we've got the nice quiet. That's a falsehood. That's just practice, right? And so the, the real skill, and you know, we're focusing in on meditation right now, but there's more to this than that. But the real skill is to learn to, to, to really work with the art of noticing and separating out. Now, you do a little bit of a, a, of a Jedi mind trick on yourself. I, I either call it a Jedi mind trick or a Jedi mind fuck. And that goes like this. You have become convinced that some of those negative thoughts are useful. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because... What does the negative thought give me a negative thought that has been useful for you? So, we, you know, in the, the launching of this product, yeah, barrage of negative thoughts. The one that was useful was, huh, we can't seem to explain what we're doing to people, and they don't quite get it. And what that led to, and there was a lot of there was a lot more negativity, I think, than there needed to be, but it led to us rethinking how we talked about the business and what the product features were and led to us adding product features that now are making it a lot easier to explain what we do and are delivering a lot more value. So there was – I feel like there was a nugget in there. Um, See, I don't believe it's the negative thought that gave you the impulse. I believe it was the way you responded to the negative thought. Hmm. See, what you're talking about is there is an observation. And the observation is something's not working. That in and of itself is neither negative nor positive. It's just an observation. It's how you respond to it that creates the opportunity for change. Yeah. It's almost as if I could skip that step, right? If there's observation, negative thought, listen to negative thought as real and make change, I could just skip from observation to Make the, What's make the, right the change. Action. Exactly. Right. Exactly. It's that interim place that is actually, see, it's the observation. What is the observation? This is not working, right? Mm-hmm. That then creates a feeling. What's the feeling? Anxiety. Anxiety. Fear. What's the threat? Fear. What's the fear? Uh, I mean, the threat is, you know, business could fail to succeed, fail to thrive. So pause. Business could fail. Right. Then we're off to the races. Right. Right. Why is failure so scary? Um, I feel like it's a deep human desire to succeed in the things that we. Why does failure scare you, Ben? Why does Why does it scare me? You, not just humans. You. Um. 
I'm worried that I failed before, and if I fail again, I won't be able to pick myself up again to do it and try again. And I desperately want to make a big difference in the world, and that's going to require trying again and again and again. And I worry that if I continue to fail and fail again, that I won't try again. I'll just give up. What do you think of that train of thought? Uh, Let me repeat it back to you. Hmm. I've failed before. In this case, if I remember correctly, it's Zio, right? Mm -hmm. Zio was a big failure. Is that right? Yeah, but $32 million smoking hole in the ground. A silver lining, but... Right, a $32 million smoking hole in the ground. Let's just pause and acknowledge that. Okay? And the fear in that is that you're, you're, you're going to fail again. But you also said... I need to try and try and try again. And so the fear is a very kind of specific fear. It's that I'll stop trying. Yeah. Because intellectually, I know that startups fail. The right way to, to deal with that is to move on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and keep on trying, keep on learning, keep on getting better and better and better in whatever role you're in. And that's just the way the game works. So intellectually, I, I understand that, but uh, emotionally, like it took me some time to get myself back together after leaving Zio and, and um, eventually having the company fail. And um, yeah, at some deep level, I, wor- I, I worry that I can't do that again. Right. Right. What would happen to you if you can't do it again? I mean, intellectually, I can. It wouldn't be a, a, a terrible thing, right? I would join. Don't give me the intellectual thing. Yeah. yeah. Give me the um, fear. It would suck, right? It would be, it I, would I've suck. got a lot wrapped up in being a, an entrepreneur and being what a. What do you mean you've got a lot wrapped up in it? I've been a co founder since I was 20 years old in college before I could legally drink. And. Yeah, there's and, and this company especially is it's like it's exactly what I want to be doing, right? It's taking what I've learned in my my own life in terms of making mm. personal change and helping people do that at scale. Like that's amazing. And what happens if you fail? What happens to Ben? Um I've I've I'm crushed. You're crushed. Slow down. Stay with that feeling. You said before you practice becoming familiar with anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know the softness that's just come into your body right now? Now what we're doing is we're feeling the fear. Mm-hmm. We're feeling the consequence of that fear. I would be crushed. I would be unloved. I would be bereft. I would be humiliated. I would be ashamed. Right? I want to honor these feelings because it's so easy to quickly intellectualize and jump up into our mind and hear the other crow, the crow that says, oh no, it'll be fine. 
And of course, it's true that it'll be fine. But the cognitive awareness of that truth does not alleviate the feeling, does it? I wish I could be in the same room with you right now because you're, you're really holding the feeling. What alleviates the suffering is to lean into the fear. What would happen is I would be crushed. Crushed. Yeah, and I feel like I've been intellectualizing around it. And I've been Yes. I tell I tell, you know, the negative barrage of thoughts and feelings come, or feelings and then thoughts, and then I try and replace them with positive thoughts. Well, here are the things that would happen that it would be fine. Right. Right. And instead of sort of backing up to what's the feeling that preceded those negative thoughts. Right. The thing that you have to remember that cognitive awareness does not create transformation. The person who overindulges in drink, in alcohol, or smoking knows at some level that it's wrong. Right? The person who overindulges in anxious, fearful thoughts knows that the thoughts aren't true, but they're still plagued by the thoughts. Yeah. Right? So it's a myth that we think that the mind... Remember my experience of sitting on the cushion. My experience of sitting on the cushion, I could feel my mind trying to push away the anxiety with intellectualized thoughts, right? Oh, I will not feel anxious if I could correctly discern what a true threat is, yep. right? And what I did was my, my amygdala took over Right, hijacked my brain and started scanning the horizon for threats. And everything became a threat. This thing, this thing, this thing, this thing. Everything became a threat. Only making me more anxious. Cutting me off from the very thing that I need to find the answers to the observed challenges. Right, Because if we go back in time and we talk about it was the observation that there was a challenge that provoked the anxiety in the first place. Right, The take-up of the courses wasn't occurring as quickly as you thought it should. Right? And rather than taking that in as simply data mm. that's useful, you took it in as a threat. Right. And what we need in those moments is to get back to our intellectual ability, not to figure out our feelings, not to push away our feelings, but to really discern, to go right to what the challenge is. And so the the way we tend to to manage the triggered reaction gets in the way of our ability to create the solutions that we need. Yeah. So let me play with sort of a different strategy, maybe, mm-hmm. um, which I'm, I'm toying over in my mind. My current strategy is 
feeling leads to negative thoughts, leads to intellectualization about how those it's, it's negative act- thoughts aren't it's, true. it's actually one step. There's a step right in the middle. It's mm-hmm. feeling the desire to push away the feeling mm-hmm. yeah. leads to negative thoughts. Right. Go ahead. Leads to intellectualization right. of essentially arguing why the negative thoughts are not true. Correct. And so, and, and then eventually works into, okay, solution, right? So uh, instead of... Sometimes it works into solution. Sometimes, right? Sometimes it just spins. spins sometimes spins, it just spins. spins. Yeah, yeah, for a long time. I've noticed that. Right. Um, so, um, so instead of... And, it, and that's probably better than just believing the negative thoughts outright, but still not... Well, believing the, like, as, right, believing the negative thoughts leads to a paralysis, Spinning around the negative thoughts leads to a different kind of paralysis. Sometimes the negative thoughts lead to an aggression, Hmm. right? Think about all the conflict that can occur in a startup. Fuck you. No, fuck you. Get out of here. No, this, that, right? All that is is fear, right? No one's properly dealing with the fear, and so they turn to aggression. My friend Parker Palmo says... Violence is what we do when we don't know what to do with our feelings or our suffering. That's that's it. So, okay, so you were going down the path of, of yeah. figuring this out. So a new strategy, feeling, negative thoughts, right? If I could, if I could uh, simply mm-hmm. accept the feeling, I would never have negative thoughts. And after maybe 20 more years of meditation, I'll get there. But today, the feeling will often generate negative thoughts. Instead of intellectualizing and fighting against those negative thoughts using logic, back up to feeling the feeling. Um, and then instead of engaging with the negative thoughts, engage with what the solution might be. Or, or change the pattern of reaction to the negative thought from push away dismiss the negative thought just as we try to push away the negative feeling Mm -hmm. invite it in remember before I said to you so you would fail which led you very emotionally with tears in your eyes say I would be crushed and within two minutes your whole body softened and you returned into yourself Simply by allowing you to feel the effects of your worst imagined thought, I would be crushed. And then we didn't push that away. We just said, that's the feeling. And now your intellectualized creativity is kicked in. It's actually the welcoming in of the state in which you're in that creates space for what your mind is really good at, which is coming up with creative solutions. Hmm. It's acknowledging that. And then seeing that the things that you're looking at as potential threats are really not threats at all. If you had $100 million cash in the bank... Okay, yeah. and the and the I'm take up, it. It's wonderful. It's wonderful, and the and and the first and the take up on your first three courses wasn't what you expected. Is it a threat? 
No problem. No. That's not the issue. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right? The issue really is it's a combination of where we are and what resources are available. It's actually more complex than the, than the fearful mind thinks. If you had a dollar in the bank, everything's a threat, right? So in that fearful moment, you're losing sight of what resources are available to you. Do you have enough time to figure it out? We should, yeah. It's it's always tight, but yeah, we have have time to figure it out. That's, now, notice that. Notice that. Right. So what are, you, what are you thinking in terms of the, the pattern of responding to things right now? Because I, I notice that your mind wants to go to what is the path? What, is the, what should I do? Yeah. 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 So notice that. Notice that that can be helpful, but its ability to be helpful is going to be limited. It's not... An engineering calculus. If this, then that. Doesn't kind of work here. Be easier if it was. Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> it would be so much easier. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. You know, even, you know, managing in this environment doesn't work that way. Leading in this environment doesn't work that way. It, it, it is a function of working with what is true about what is happening inside of you. You know, in my boot camps, one of the first things we work with is a, is a, a bastardization of a Zen koan. Uh, this being so, so what? And what I mean by that is facing the reality as it truly is. So... The, the take up on the first three courses wasn't what you anticipated it to be. And you have X amount of dollars in the bank. And you have Y amount of time. And there's critical pieces of information that you still lack. And there's critical information that you've gotten. Now what do you do? Right? Yeah. And with that... How, how do we, so when the, when the barrage of negative thoughts are so consistent, like it feels hard to get into that space. Right. So, l- so let's talk uh, about that. What fuels the barrage of negative thought? What fuels the anxiety? And the answer lies in something that you just said around being crushed. Yeah. It's what I perceive will happen. Um, if we don't move through the challenge, what right, will to me, happen to myself? What will happen to you? Yeah. What will happen? Tell me. Um, if we failed, I would um, take a little time off, and then that's an intellectual either, answer. Bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me what it is you're afraid of will happen. I'm afraid that. Um, I'm afraid I'll never recover from that. Yeah. Which I, I tried to stop my intellectual mind from not saying that because my intellectual mind immediately <laughs> jumps in and wants to. Said, oh, you'll be fine. But you'll be fine. That's what I actually am afraid of. Right. You're actually afraid that's that right. you'll never be able to recover. And then what will happen? 
um, I'll backslide in terms of the rest of my life. Right? And, all of the hard-fought gains and physical fitness and relationships will all dematerialize. And what will happen? What will Ben be? I'll be a bitter, unhappy, um, angry person. Is there anybody in your life who's bitter and unhappy and angry because they backslid? Who are you afraid of becoming? I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to sit with that. Um, the, the obvious answers, um, I'm trying to wrestle with, like, are, you know, so the obvious answer would be there, oh, there's a parent or an uncle. No, and, not necessarily. It could, it could be yeah. the person that you fear you truly are. Yeah. I think it's back. I, I think what I fear is backsliding to what I, who I used to be. There we and, go. You know, right. And my, my most, the worst times in my life when I look back are, you know, my teenage years of yeah. um, not really knowing who I was, not being happy with what I was doing or who I was becoming, um, you know, all the social angst that comes with friends and girls and you know that I don't want to be that person ever again. And that yeah. was very uncomfortable. Yeah. I really relate to that. Um, I don't think I've publicly talked about this before. So I'm about to reveal something. I've talked a lot about my depression, but, uh, I tried to kill myself when I was 18 shortly wow. after my 18th birthday. I was between my first and second semesters of college. And it was a very difficult time, as it is for many people. And the roots of that depression go back very, very deep. And so I really, really relate to your fear of backsliding and becoming that person that you once were. I have struggled with that same fear myself. It took me a long time to learn to integrate that boy into the man that I am today and to no longer deny that boy or be afraid of that boy, but to acknowledge and integrate and recognize that that boy lives on in the man that I am today and enables me to empathetically connect with your fear in this moment. And so I want to say something to you. You are not alone in that fear. Doesn't make it go away. But for me, knowing I'm not alone in my fears makes my fears easier to bear. Thank you for sharing that. That's uh, really powerful. Um, yeah. You know, it's uh, the fear of backsliding, the fear of, you know, anybody who has struggled, I think, struggles with the fear of the struggle coming back. No. Right. 
one of one of my um, even more even deeper fears is that you know so the the person I was um, I didn't I was unhappy and I was struggling and I didn't even know what to do to move forward and um, you know I I now have built up this intellectual and emotional capacity to deal with some stuff and I I worry about losing that right. Um, cause I, you know, I think it was just luck that I got on the right path and started understanding more about myself and the world. And, um, yeah, like putting myself back there and imagining that like maybe that lightning wouldn't strike twice and I wouldn't ever get out of that, you know, that loop, um, really scary. And so when, when Zio failed, that must've been a particularly hard time because it may have brought you back. Yeah, it was a it was a really interesting situation where I'd left about a year before the company failed, and I started embarking on my own personal development journey, right? Mm. From learning from this and starting with meditation, and at the same time, the company that I built was falling apart mm. um, outside of my control, mm. right? So um, I was learning, and I was growing, and I was moving in these wonderful new directions, and at the same time, all the things that I'd built and worked for were falling apart and it was causing me to question um, who I really was and, and why I even deserved to be able to take another chance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Ben, I, th- I think the mistake that I've often made in a similar situation is to presume that the intellectual accomplishments I've made and the decisions I've made and the systems that I've created in my life are the things that have created the distance between who I was and who I am. What I forget and what I suspect you forget, it's actually the resiliency in your own self that you created in that process. It is not the systems that you've created, right? The systems can change but the resiliency is as much a part of you as the struggle. And nothing takes the resiliency yeah. away. You're right. The, I mean, the, the, yeah. the things that I've done to change my life um, have changed me in ways that even if I stopped doing all those things, wouldn't disappear. That's it. That's it. And you can always access the resiliency. You can always access the grit you can always access the capacity. The way you access that is to stand still, feel the feeling, not push the feeling away with an intellectual solution. The true strength of change collective lies in the resiliency, not in the, in the intellectual realizations. It's the, it's the desire to change that will bring people to change collective. It is not the changes themselves. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, yeah and when we talk about, yeah, when we talk about our company mission, um, we, we talk about developing people's ability and confidence to change. And we actually, when we, when we built that mission, we recognized that the skills are actually less important than the confidence. Mm-hmm. 
the skills are less important than that resiliency, that grit. And and the way that one starts that, the way it worked for me is you layer one win on top of another, small win, small win, small win. You build skills along the way, sure. But at some point you have an unshakable confidence that you can meet the challenges that are going to come up in your life. Um, and that's what we want to help people get to. I think right? that's, that's the ultimate. I think that's beautiful. And, and you know, you, you in, in, in coming, taking you back to your mission and your purpose, I'm reminded of something that's very important that I as a coach and my partners at Reboot do is what we try to do is bring people back to purpose when they're feeling lost because purpose is the center. And listening to you describe the mission of the company made me smile because like all great companies that are built out of love, who is it that you're trying to save with Change Collective? It's myself. Amen, brother. Yeah. That's it. Because there are thousands of people who struggle the way you struggled. That is the connecting point. Yeah. And when you can hold fast to that purpose... That's a greater source of resiliency in the face of the barrage of the negative thoughts. That's where the creativity is going to come from. Oh, I'm going to save the lost Ben. When I sit and I coach you, I'm going back in time and saving me. And the thing, the, the thing that I have been taught is that my saving me is saving you. My saving you is saving me because we are not separate as individuals. We're part of a shared collective called humanity. Yeah, I, I think for the first time I'm realizing, like I always sort of knew what the mission was, but now it's connecting back to the very thing that I fear most, right? Yes. I fear backsliding. I fear becoming the person that I used to be that didn't have these tools and this resiliency and this grit. And the very thing that I'm building is what would help that earlier version of me make the progress that I've made. Exactly. And understanding that that is the source. The source of the purpose and the mission is the suffering. Creates power. Creates potency creates magic. That's when a company is built on love. This is about something more important than another dollar in the bank. This is about saving lives. How are you doing? I'm great. Um, I'm now, you know, my mind is fast forwarding to how do I, how do I utilize this new realization? <laughs> you should see, I wish everybody could see the smile on your face right now. <laughs> your face is lit up because you are connected yeah. to purpose. Okay. So my suggestion, and we're going to start to wrap, but my suggestion is take the energy right now, resist the impulse to concretize it by writing stuff down, but you can journal. Journal around the feelings. Remember what I, one of the first things I said is the answer here is in the feelings. Sit, meditate, 
Go for a walk. Let it land in your body. Let the truth of it become resonant in your body. You will not lose it if it's in your body. Yeah. Right? Ben, that was uh, beautiful. I really want to honor your vulnerability and your courage. Um, for a guy who's dealing with a lot of fear to be able to get in the public like this and talk about this, it's really, um, it's really an honor. And yeah. just, just that act, I know, is helping somebody else right now. So thank yeah. you. Thank you too, Jerry. I've, uh, I feel like I, uh, I found a realization that's going to really help. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also want to honor your vulnerability in, in talking about your struggles as a teenager. And um, yeah, it's a, a powerful story, and to have shared it to help me um, is a wonderful gift. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you for receiving it as well as you did. It was really an honor. So that's it for our conversation today. I know a lot was covered in this episode, from links to books to quotes to images. So we went ahead and compiled all that and put it on our site at reboot.io slash podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can find out about that on our site as well. I'm really grateful that you took the time to listen. If you enjoyed the show and you want to get all the latest episodes as we release them, head over to iTunes and subscribe. And while you're there, it would be great if you could leave us a review, letting us know how the show affected you. So thank you again for listening, and I really look forward to future conversations together.